a certain soldier was allowed to go home on furlough. He walked and walked and walked, and after a time, he began to draw near to his native village. Not far off from that village lived a miller in his mill. In old times, the soldier had been very intimate with him. Why shouldn't he go and see his friend? So he went, and the miller received him cordially and at once brought out liquor. The two began drinking and chattering about their ways and doings. All this took place towards nightfall, and the soldier stopped so long at the miller's that it grew quite dark. When he proposed to start for his village, his host exclaimed, Spend the night here, it is very late now, and perhaps you may run into mischief. How so? replied the soldier. God is punishing us. A terrible warlock has died among us, and by the night he rises from his grave, wanders through the village, and does such things as bring fear upon the very bailiffs. And so how could you help being afraid of him? Not one bit. A soldier is a man who belongs to the crown, and the crown property cannot be drowned in water, nor burned in fire. I will be off. I am tremendously anxious to see my people as soon as possible. And off the soldier set. His road lay in front of a graveyard. On one of the graves, he saw a great fire blazing. When he drew near, he saw that a warlock was sitting at the fire, sewing boots. Hail, brother, called out the soldier. The warlock looked up and said, What have you come here for? Why, I wanted to see what you were doing. The warlock threw his work aside and invited the soldier to a wedding. Come along, let's enjoy ourselves. There is a wedding going on in the village. They came to where the wedding was. They were given drinks and treated with the utmost hospitality. The warlock drank and drank, reveled and reveled, and then grew angry. He chased all the guests and relatives out of the house, threw the wedded pair into a slumber, took out two files and an awl, pierced the hands of the bride and bridegroom with the awl and began drawing off their blood. Having done this, he said to the soldier, Now let's be off. On the way, the soldier said, Tell me, why did you draw off their blood in those files? Why? In order that the bride and bridegroom might die. Tomorrow morning, no one will be able to wake them. I alone know how to bring them back to life. How's that managed? The soldier asked. The bride and bridegroom must have cuts made in their heels, and some of the blood must be then poured back into these wounds. I've got the bridegroom's blood stowed away in my right hand pocket, and the bride's in my left. So the soldier listened to this without letting a single word escape him. Then the warlong began boasting again. Whatever I wish, I can do. I suppose it's quite impossible to get the better of you, said the soldier. If anyone were to make a pyre of Aspen, a hundred loads of them and to burn me on that pyre, then he'd be able to get the better of me. Only he'd have to look sharp and burning me. 
for snakes and worms and different kinds of reptiles would creep out of my insides. And crows and magpies and jackdaws would come flying up. All these must be caught and flung back onto the pyre. If so much as a single maggot were to escape, then there'd be no help for it. And that maggot, I'd slip away. So the soldier listened to all this and did not forget it. He and the warlock talked and talked, and at last they arrived at the grave. Well, now I'll tear you to pieces. Otherwise, you'll be telling all this. The soldier quickly lashed back. What are you talking about? Don't you deceive yourself, for I serve God and the Empire. The warlock showed his teeth, howled, and sprang at the soldier, who drew his sword and began laying about him sweeping blows. They struggled and struggled. The soldier was all but at the end of his strength when the cocks began to crow and the warlock fell lifeless to the ground. The soldier took the files of blood out the warlock's pockets and went to the house of his own people. When he had got there and exchanged greetings with his relatives, they asked if he had seen any disturbances. After talking a while, they lay down to sleep. The next morning, the soldier awoke and began asking, I'm told you've got a wedding going on somewhere here. There was a wedding in the house of the rich peasant, but the bridegroom has died this very night. What from? Nobody knows. The soldier asked where the wedding was and they showed him. They showed him the house and he went without speaking a single word. When he got there, he found the whole family in tears. What are you mourning about? Such and such is the state of things, soldier, the family responded. I can bring your young people to life again. What will you give me if I do? Take what you like. Even we're at half of what we got, the family responded. The soldier did as the warlock had instructed him and brought the young people back to life. Instead of weeping, there began to be happiness and rejoicing. The soldiers hospitality retreated and well rewarded, then left about face. Off he marched to call the peasants together and to get ready a hundred loads of aspen wood. Well, they took the wood into the graveyard, dragged the warlock out of his grave and placed him on the pyre and set it ablaze. The warlock began to burn. His corpse burst and out of it came snakes, worms and all kinds of reptiles and up came flying crows, magpies and jackdaws. The peasants knocked them down and flung them back into the fire, not allowing so much as a single maggot to creep away. And so the warlock was thoroughly consumed and the soldier collected his ashes and threw them to the winds. From that time forward, there was peace in the village. He's talking and I'm not and I'm just... <sighs> <laughs> And then I'm talking. <laughs> no, but wait, wait! I have something for him. Boom! You get shot down. Now you just fucking me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just wondering why all these people like kids.
the Weird History and Eerie Tales podcast. Wow. FYI, there's nothing wrong Welcome, everybody, to another mini episode of the Weird History Eerie Tales podcast. I am your host, Moises, and today I am Dolo. The guys have been busy trying to figure out how to start the school year under these COVID conditions, and instead of sweating them on trying to find out some time to record, I thought it was just much easier to give them the freedom and I just do a mini episode for you guys. If you're new, these mini episodes are usually short episodes on topics that aren't information heavy and are tucked away for situations like this. But don't worry. Next week, when the gang's all back, we'll be covering a few alien races and what they are about. But until then, sit back and enjoy this Russian vampire episode. Brought to you by this week's source, Vampires and Vampirism from Around the World, written by Dudley Wright. This is an amazing book, so if you guys want, check it out in the episode show notes. So with that being said... Let's dig in. When it comes to vampires in Russia, believing in one or them is instilled very early. They're told from a young age that if a vampire's arms go numb from being crossed in the grave for too long, it then instead uses its teeth, which are said to be stronger than steel. Little kids in Russia are told that vampires, when attacking a home, will always start with the youngest in the household. So when a vampire first wakes up from his sleep, it begins to gnaw at its hands and feet. And when it's done with its own flesh, it rises at midnight and then goes for any cattle available. In certain small Slavic villages, the vampire would then climb the nearest church's bell tower and ring the bell. And any who hear the bell will soon die at the hands of the vampire. There's a very famous Russian book called Songs of the Russian People, and the author William Ralston writes about the Slavic mythology, tradition, folklore, and ethnography. And in it, you can tell they embrace their monsters and demons almost as much as Mexico does, where it becomes part of the culture, and in it, they attribute the birth of a vampire to an unholy union between a witch and a werewolf or a devil. And according to this book, It says that when driving a stake into the body of a vampire, it has to be done in one hit, because if not, the second hit will revive the corpse. There are a group of Russian stories that tell the tales of bodies coming to life at the stroke of midnight, being possessed by the strong urge to eat flesh. These deaths are attributed to the deaths of wizards and witches. So the stories go that after the death of a wizard, witch, They are literally enclosed in a coffin which was tied with two iron bands and carried to the local church. Then a watcher was appointed to read out loud from the scriptures over the coffin every night until the night of the burial. The watcher also had the job of drawing on the floor a magic circle, which he must stand in while holding the ancient weapon of the god of thunder, which was a hammer. All this was because if the corpse inside really was a wizard or a witch, a strong wind would sweep in one night at exactly midnight, blow the iron bands away and the lid off the coffin, which then the revenant would leap out of the coffin. And after a terrible screech, it would lunge at the watcher, who if he didn't do what he was supposed to do, would easily fall victim to the vampire and by morning, not even the bones would be left. 
once in the days of the old, there died a terrible sinner. His body was taken to the church, and the sacristan was told to read some psalms over him. He took the precaution to catch a cock and carry it with him to the church. At midnight, the dead man leaped from his coffin, opened wide his jaws, and rushed at the victim. But at that moment, the sacristan gave the bird a hard pinch. The cock uttered his usual crow, and at the same moment, the dead man fell backwards to the ground, a numb, motionless corpse. Hidden deep in the cracks and crevices of Russian vampire lore is a class of demon vampires known as heart devourers, who hunt a victim, but instead of sucking their blood or eating their flesh, they touch them with an aspen tree branch or any other twig with magical properties, which makes their fucking heart fall out. And then it's replaced with a basic one, like a rat or a rabbit's. There's a fucking story that hails from Moscow, and in the story, the hero awakes with the heart of a rabbit, the work of a ho-ass demon while he was asleep. The man remained a coward for the rest of his life. And then in another story, a very quiet, a very reserved, non-offensive peasant man had his heart taken and exchanged for the heart of a cock. And immediately afterwards, the peasant man had a forever boner until his dying day. The following story is told by Madame Blavatsky, the famous or infamous Russian occultist who claims that she had the account told to her by an eyewitness. A peasant was driving alone one night with a load of pots. His horse grew tired and all of a sudden it came to a standstill alongside a graveyard. The peasant unharnessed his horse and set it free to graze. Meanwhile, he laid himself down on one of the graves. Somehow, he didn't go to sleep. He remained there some time when suddenly the grave began to open beneath him. He felt the movement and sprang to his feet. The grave having opened, out came a corpse, wrapped in a white shroud and holding a coffin lid. It ran to the church, laid the coffin lid at the door, and then set off for the nearest village. The peasant was a darling fellow. He picked up the coffin lid and remained standing beside his cart, waiting to see what would happen. After a short delay, the dead man came back and was going to snatch up his coffin lid, but it was nowhere to be found. Then the corpse began to track it, traced it, and went up to the peasant and crooned. Give me my lid. If you don't, I'll take it in bits. The peasant then pulled out a hatchet and responded, What about this? Why, it'll be I who'll be chopping you into small pieces. Do give it back to me, good man. I'll give it when you tell me where you've been and what you've done. I've been in the village, and there I've killed a couple youngsters. Well, then tell me how they can be brought back to life. Cut off the left skirt of my shroud. Take it with you when you come into the house where the youngsters were killed. Pour some live coals into a pot and put the piece of the shroud in with them. Lock the door and the lads will be revived by the smoke immediately. 
The peasant cut off the left skirt of the shroud and gave up the coffin lid. The corpse went to its grave, but just as the dead man was descending into it, all of a sudden, the cocks began to crow, and he had no time to get properly covered over. One end of the coffin lid remained standing on the ground. The peasant saw all this and made a note of it. The day began to dawn and he harnessed his horse and drove into the village. In one of the houses he heard cries and wailing. In he went and there lay two dead children. Don't cry, I can bring them back to life. Please do and we'll give you half of all we possess, the family said. The peasant did everything as the corpse had instructed him and the lads came back to life. The relatives were delighted but they immediately seized the peasant and bound him. We'll hand you over to the authorities, since you know how to bring them back to life. It was you who killed them. The peasant told them everything that had happened to him during the night. Well, they spread the news throughout the village and the whole town assembled and stormed the graveyard. They found the grave from which a dead man had come out, they tore it open, and they drove an aspen stake right into the heart of the corpse, so that it will no longer raise and slay. The village rewarded the peasant and sent him home with great honor. The Slavs believed that when you would die, the soul would go out of the body and just wander around the local neighborhood, local workplace, the local strip club, GameStop, local liquor store, or bodega, some of you on the East Coast would say. Wherever the currently deceased would frequent, it would visit for 40 days before it moved on to heaven or, you know, the other place. It was during these 40 days that the soul was believed to be able to re-enter its old corpse which is why the burial rites were important because if you didn't properly take care of the burial the soul could unpurify and not know peace and wreak havoc on the living death of an unbaptized child a violent death an untimely death people who text you what are you doing and you say nothing and then they call you the death of a grievous sinner like a wizard or a witch Golden State Warrior fans and people who spam your Snapchat with the videos that they post on their stories. These are all examples of ways to have an unclean death. And it's these unclean souls that make their way into those decomposing bodies that weren't given a proper burial. Hence the importance of a proper burial. And this is where we get the Upir. The Upir is the manifestation of an unclean spirit possessing a decomposing body that wasn't properly buried. So once the unclean, dirty, naughty spirit gets a hold of the body, the first thing it looks for is blood, which is what it uses to sustain living in that decomposing corpse. The Upir is considered to be a vengeful and jealous son of a bitch towards the living. A peasant went out in pursuit of game one day and took his favorite dog with him. He walked and walked through the woods and bogs, but got nothing for his pains. At last, the darkness of night surprised him. At an uncanny hour, he passed by a graveyard, and there, at a place where two roads met, he saw standing a corpse in a white shroud. The peasant was horrified and knew not which way to go, whether to keep on or to turn back. 
Well, whatever happens, I'll go on, he thought. And on he went, with his dog running at his heels. When the corpse perceived him, it came to meet him, not touching the earth with its feet, but keeping about a foot above it, with the shroud fluttering after him. When the peasant got close to the ghost, it made a rush at him, but the dog seized a hold of it by its bare calves and began a tussle. When the peasant saw his dog and the corpse grappling with each other, he was delighted and he set off running home with all his might. The dog kept up the struggle until cocks crow, when the corpse fell motionless to the ground. Then the dog ran off in pursuit of its master, caught up to him just as he reached home and rushed at him, furiously trying to bite him. So savage and so persistent that it was as much as the people of the house could do to beat it off. Whatever has come over the dog, asked the peasant's old mother. Why should it hate its master so? The peasant told her all that had happened. Ah, a bad piece of work, my son, said the old woman. The dog was disgusted at you not helping it. There it was, fighting with the corpse, fighting for its life, and you deserted it and thought only of saving yourself. Now it will owe you a grudge for ever so long. Next morning, while the family were going about the farmyard, the dog was perfectly quiet. But the moment its master made its appearance, it began to growl like no other. They tied it to a chain for a whole year, and they kept it chained up. But in spite of that, it never forgot how its master had offended it. One day it got loose and flew straight at him and began trying to throttle its master's corpse. So, they killed it. So it's no secret that at this point you could kind of tell I'm kind of a whore for all things gothic. Whether it's the fluffy lacy shirts, the Victorian era architecture, the famous monsters and demons that were spawned during that era, and not to mention the Penny Dreadfuls. Those cheap Victorian pulp magazines before pulp magazines were a thing. As Varney the Vampire was a huge staple and was serialized in part of 109 installments during the 1840s before finally being published as a novel in 1870. Arguably credited as being the first vampire of the prototypical gothic daddy or mommy that came to be famously adopted, whether it was Stroker's Dracula, Sheridan's La Fanu's Carmilla, which is one of my favorite vampire stories ever, not because of its strong lesbian undertones, but because of how much a Carmilla made it into vampire canon, or Anne Rice's favorite vampire chronicles. So vampires kind of round up my love, you know, for all things gothic. Just like many of you who still run those dark academia tumblers, I too sometimes wish I was a vampire. But did you ever think about what kind of vampire you would be, or like to be? Well, let's talk about the different options on the menu, shall we? So according to thevampireontheworld.com, we have five different types of vampires. So the first one, we have the Sanguinarians, who believe that they have a physical and spiritual need to drink blood to maintain mental and physical health, which is your prototypical vampire. Two, Psychic Vampires. They attain the nourishment from a human's aura, psychic energy, emotions, or whatever you want to call it. And they feed on this energy instead of blood to keep themselves in check mentally and physically. Third on the list is living vampires. 
They don't drink blood or suck the soul out of people like the psychic vampires, but they are highly spiritual and maintain a rigid ethical system. They're organized and usually unionized belonging to groups such as the Temple of the Vampire. Then we have the Transcendental Vampire. And this type of vampire believes that they have an immortal soul and they maintain their immortality by just swapping out their old shitty body for a younger vampire's body. And then finally, we have the blood donors or the vampire simps who allow vampires to drink their blood. They are the rarer of the bunch as they are the subservience to the vampires. And basically, they are just the subs to the, you know, gothic daddy doms. In a certain village, there was a girl who was lazy and slothful, hated working, but would gossip and chatter away like anything. Well, she took it into her head to invite the other girls to a spinning party. For in the villages, as everyone knows, it is the lazy ones who give the spinning feast, and the sweet toothed are those who go to it. Well, on the appointed night, she got her spinners together. They spanned for her, and she fed them and feasted them. Among other things they chatted about was this. Which of them all was the boldest? I'm not afraid of anything, said the lazy one. Well then, says the spinners, if you're not afraid, go past the graveyard to the church, take down the holy picture from the door, and bring it here. Good, I'll bring it. Only each of you must keep spinning until I get back. That was just her sort of notion, to do nothing herself, but to get others to do it for her. Well, she went, took down the picture, and brought it home with her. Her friends all saw that, sure enough, it was the picture from the church. But the picture had to be taken back again, and it was now the midnight hour. Who was to take it? The lazy one said, You girls keep on spinning. I'll take it back myself. I'm not afraid of anything. So she went and put the picture back in its place. As she was passing the graveyard on her return, she saw a corpse in a white shroud seated on a tomb. It was a moonlight night. Everything was visible. She went up to the corpse and drew away its shroud from it. But the corpse held its peace, not uttering a word. Well, she took the shroud and went home. There, I've taken back the picture and put it in its place. And what's more, here's a shroud I took away from a corpse. Some of the girls were horrified. Others didn't believe what she said and they laughed at her. But after they had eaten and laid down to sleep, all of a sudden the corpse tapped at the window and said, girls were so frightened they didn't know whether they were alive or dead but the lazy one took the shroud went to the window opened it and said here take it no. 
Just then the cock suddenly began to crow and the corpse disappeared. Next night when the spinners had all gone home to their own houses at the very same hour as before, the corpse came, tapped on the window and cried. Just then, the lazy girl's father and mother opened the window and offered him his shroud. No, let her take it back to the place she took it from. Really now, how could Juan go to a graveyard with a corpse? What a horrible idea, the mother replied. Just then, the cocks began to crow, and the corpse once again disappeared. Next day, the girl's father and mother sent for the priest, told him the whole story, and entreated him to help them in their trouble. Couldn't a service be performed, they asked. The priest reflected a while, and then he replied, Please, tell her to come to church tomorrow. Next day, the lazy one went to church. The service began. Numbers of people came to it. But just as they were going to sing, there suddenly arose so terrible a whirlwind that all the congregation fell flat on their faces. And they caught up to that girl and flung her down on the ground. The girl disappeared from sight. Nothing was left of her. The Iriticha, the vampiress of Russian vampires. She comes from the belief that you would be punished in the afterlife by becoming a member of the undead by using magic. Same as the Yupir, dying without confessing your sins would turn you into a vampire. The threat of being turned into a vampire, you know, it's not a new thing, especially when it comes under the guise of this is what happens when you're not a good Christian. So the vampiress, the Iriticha, was often thought to be a woman who had sold her soul while still being alive. And after death, she would come back in the form of an old woman in rags. During the night, her and her other vampiress, vampiresses, would congregate and dance around and have a sort of Sabbath. They would only seem to appear during the spring and the late fall. During the day, they'd be these old forest hags who would turn into sexy goth queens at night, whose power was to give the evil eye, and those who received the evil eye would die a very slow and painful death. The Iriticha would sleep in a coffin like your typical vampire would, but only in the coffins of those when alive were real blasphemous pieces of shit. Also, if you were wandering a graveyard and happened to fall or sink into the grave of a sleeping Iriticha, the person would quickly waste 
the way. To kill these gothic queens, you must either A, burn them, or stake them in the back with a stake made of aspen. A soldier had obtained leave to go home on furlough, to pray to the holy images, and to bow down before his parents. As he was going his way, at a time when the sun had long set, and all was dark around, it chanced that he had to pass by a graveyard. Just then he heard that someone, something, was running after him. Stop! You can't escape! He looked back and there was a corpse running and gnashing its teeth. The soldier sprang on one side with all his might to get away from it, caught sight of a little chapel, and bolted straight into it. There wasn't a soul in the chapel, but stretched out on a table, there lay another corpse, with tapers burning in front of it. The soldier hid himself in a corner and remained there hardly knowing whether he was alive or dead waiting to see what would happen. Presently up ran the first corpse, the one that had chased the soldier, and dashed into the chapel. Then the corpse that was lying on the table jumped up and cried to it, What hast thou come here for? I've chased the soldier in here, so I'm going to eat him. If he's burning to my house, I shall eat him myself. <laughs> now I shall eat him and suddenly both corpses began to fight with dust flying everywhere they got on fighting for so long that soon the cocks began to grow then both the corpses fell lifeless to the ground and the soldier went on his way homeward in peace saying glory be to thee O lord I am saved from the wizards. So there you have it folks, Russian vampires. One of the things that I found most interesting is how there was hardly a distinction from the type of sinner the person was, whether it was a witch or a wizard, to what he or she eventually became after death. I wonder how many of these stories were told and passed around before the vampire distinction came to be. And also, I don't know what is up with all these fucking roosters being the end of the road for many of these monsters. I don't know, but I had, you know, a lot of fun learning and reading about Russia and their vampires. But thank you all for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this mini-episode. Like always, you can find us on Instagram at Weird History, Pod. If you can, please rate and review us on iTunes. It'll really help the show out. It'll really help the show grow. And also keep a lookout on our Instagram, because soon we will be revealing our very first merch drop that I'm really excited for. Also, you can find us on um, Spotify, 
Google Play, we still have an, um, we're, we're still having issues with Google Play. We haven't taken them off the market. We talked, to, we talked to Podbean, and Podbean's trying to help us out to figure out why Google's not giving us a single download number from the past three years. So if you guys see us off the market, off of the Google Play market, it won't be for long because Podbean assured us that uh, once we get deleted off of the Google, um, off the Google Play, that they would handle the rest and they'll upload it correctly so that we'd be able to get the download numbers but thank you all and uh join us next week as the gang will be back in all our dysfunction and as always thank you guys i am Osasoria, and we are the weird history in retails pod <laughs>